podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What a fantastic goal that is from Derby! Hello, welcome. This is Steve Bloomer's Washing, the independent Derby County podcast. Hope you're well, staying safe and staying sane in these troubling times. So as we all endure lockdown, we are proud to present another Rams interview on the podcast, which, as you all know, is partnered for the season with Derby Brewing Company, Derby's original craft brewer. There aren't many figures in the history of our club who are as intrinsically linked with Derby County as Steve McLaren. There was a playing spell in the 1980s, his formative coaching years as Jim Smith's young, innovative, progressive assistant in the 1990s, and of course, two managerial spells in the last six years. Whatever you think of him now, McLaren has made a huge contribution in shaping our recent history and direction. For better or worse, he turned us into promotion contenders. Derby were a solid but thoroughly mid-table team under Nigel Clough, who rarely looked like troubling the top six. But all that changed when McLaren was appointed early in the 2013-14 season. What followed was a rollercoaster campaign full of goals, drama, at times sensational football, but devastatingly, ending with bitter disappointment at Wembley. The following year promised so much, but also delivered failure. And although hope was rekindled at the start of his second spell in charge in 2016, that dreaded post-Christmas slump struck again, meaning McLaren has the unwanted record of being sacked twice by Derby County. In this podcast, the first of a two-part interview with McLaren, We got his full and frank account of both managerial spells, the highs, the lows, and everything in between. Because as every Derby fan will tell you, it was quite a journey. The opportunity to come back uh, in my own right as the manager, um, you know, there's just something special about it. Craig Dryson's hat-trick has guided Derby to the very best of wins against Nottingham Forest. Important block by Dan. Look at that from Thorne! Oh, look at that! Heartbreak, and you wonder whether it was going to be a moment of magic, a mistake, a set piece. It usually is one of those things. These games are usually tight. This has been no exception. You're going to feel sorry for Richard Keogh and Derby County. Johnny Russell sends the fans into raptures, and Derby hit five. Forsyth. It's awkward. Oh, and An absolutely horrible moment for the goalkeeper. And that is an extraordinary way for Wolverhampton Wanderers to double their lead. It's not happened. We've kind of run out of steam and ran out of luck and ran out of goals. I think, you know, everything comes home to roost. And I think all our problems and what's happened over the last two months came home to roost today. 17 months after he was originally sacked by Derby County as head coach, he now returns as Derby County's manager. Oh, they've got it absolutely right. It's Thomas Innes. It's brilliant. The 
Carson is left in no man's land. That is shocking defending the body language of some of these Derby players. They're just not desperate to get back and prevent goals going in. It's far too easy. 3-0, that is game over. That is where we need to go. Two years ago, we were there. And Brighton have gone on, and we haven't. So our guest for this episode is a man who has played a huge part in Derby County's recent history. We are delighted to welcome to the podcast Stephen Clarence. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Absolute, absolute pleasure, Chris. Absolute pleasure. Great stuff. Now, uh, first and foremost, I uh, have to ask, these are unique, uh, very challenging times for, for everyone as the whole country remains in lockdown at the time of recording. Uh, how, how are you and your family coping with it all at the moment? Yeah, we're, we're uh, very, very fortunate, I think, that, uh, you know, we have uh, live in an area which is very quiet, small village. Uh, we've got a nice garden. Um, my three boys have left home. Um, it's only me and the, and the wife, Catherine. And um, we're filling our days quite well. It's kind of like a, an extended holiday, getting up. Um, exercise, coffee, catching up with work, doing a bit of work with uh, with FIFA, doing a bit of research work, some podcasts, um, Skype interviews, which is keeping me busy. Um, but but mainly, yeah, just chilling and waiting, and and uh, in the meantime, just um, just keeping occupied. We're very fortunate here, as I say. We've we you know live in the countryside, so. We're, very much out walking a lot. Got my bike out. Um, fortunate to have a little gym in the uh, in the house as well. So using that. So coming out of this, I'm sure I'll be far fitter than I was beforehand. I think that's it, isn't it? It's the same for a lot of people. But well, we could discuss the current state of play all, all day, I imagine. But uh, enough about all that for now, because there's so much we uh, wanted to talk to you about, and I guess. The best place to start in terms of the managerial spells at Derby is is at the beginning, I suppose. So it's getting on for six and a half years now since you replaced Nigel Clough in October 2013. Um, cast your mind back, do you remember how you felt when contact was made first about you becoming uh, Derby County's manager? Yeah, I was, um, I was at the time working with uh, Harry Redknapp, QPR. Um, enjoyed that immensely. Um, no pressure of making decisions, just coaching the team. And uh, and Harry was great with me. The team was very good. And um, I think we started the season very well. So I was enjoying myself back to back to just coaching on the field. Uh, good squad, good players. But I had a little phone call from my agent saying this, this might occur. Um, I said, well, I'd walk there really. Um, you know, having that affinity with uh, Derby County as a player. Um, back there with Jim Smith. Um, it's it's a, it's just one of them clubs, one of them clubs that when you're there, it's, it's in your heart, it's in your soul, and it's it's part of my, um, my football in life and a huge part of it. But also, you know, our, our boys um, also have a great uh, affinity and, Joe, my oldest son, is chief scout there now, still. So, you know, Derby has played a huge part in uh, in my football career. And uh, everyone remembers that uh, Derby were roughly mid-table. I think it was 14th when you took over after that slow start to the 13-14 season. But then there was that remarkable run 
that Derby went on from October onwards after you took over. And talk about a new manager bounce. And the catalyst for that was that crazy four-all draw at home to Ipswich, where you had a few words with the players at half-time shortly after you'd been confirmed as manager when Derby were 4-1 down. Um, do you remember exactly what it was you said at half-time to inspire such a fight back? No, I mean, leading up to that, it was why I was so excited about about not just it being Derby County, but also the players, because we're in the Championship as well at QPR. We're also looking at, at Derby. And, and, I th- and, you know, I said at the time, and I praised Nigel Clough at the time for the for the quality of the players that he brought in to, uh, to Derby was... When I looked at it, I was excited by the players that I saw, and and they could play football. Every player could handle the ball, and they wanted to play football. I always remember watching a game they played against Yeovil and watching one of the goals, and it was twenty six passes. I still remember it to this day, and thinking, I'd love to get hold of that team because I'd I'd come back from Holland, um, I'd experienced Dutch football and it was certain styles, certain way, possession football, um, the ultimate way, built from the back, 4-3-3, full-backs going on, wingers, central, uh, runners from midfield and um, I wanted to create, I could see, I wanted to get a team and see if we could create something like that, what I'd experienced in Holland over in the Championship, which was all hurly-burly and very direct and very physical. And I just felt with these players that I could do that. So I think that was one of the reasons why I was really excited about coming to Derby. Uh, And I think the second reason was I got such a great welcome going back. Granted, I think one of the most important things I did was, was the appointment of Eric Steele as goalkeeping coach and Paul Simpson as my assistant, who were also Derby County players um, and and under Jim Smith. I knew them and they were integral to it. So I was excited by that, excited by the reception that we got um, and a little deflated at half time when we were 4-1 down against Ipswich when I said I'd just sit in my seat and, uh, and watch the game. And uh, I had a big dilemma at that half time. Paul Simpson stepped in. I said, "What do you want? What do you think, Paul?" He said, "You got to go down." It's uh, and we called it one of them uh, management moments where um, if you miss it, you regret it, and if you do it, um, that's what you've got to do. That's what management is about. And I, I decided to to go down. Quick word, and it was basically just tweaking one or two things. We were too loose in midfield. Put John Eustace in there. Go to a four-three-three and and see how we got on. And, Luck plays a massive, massive part in football. And we had the luck in the second half and and everything fell into place. We finished the game 4-4. It was like winning the game. And um, it was a terrific start to um, start to our tenure, which was which was vitally important because Nigel, quite rightly, is kind of a legend at Derby with, uh, with his father as well. And, uh, and I suppose the supporters were a little bit split. Uh, but certainly after that, that was um, certainly a, a small win on our behalf. As you said there, the noticeable change when Derby went on that run was the, the switch to that much more effective attacking 4-3-3. So from a tactical point of view, was that the most important thing that you wanted to change first? You know, like getting the system right to, to get more out of the same group of players? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think it was just, I'd, I'd, I'd been used to, you know, on four years in Holland, playing a 4-3-3, uh, and, and I knew exactly, you know, each position, exactly what was required and needed. I felt that the players were capable of doing that. And it was just a case of tactically bedding in and, and doing that and being possession based. And I think the key was, the key was the, the centre backs, uh, the goalkeeper. You know, could they, could they play the possession football from the back that we, uh, that we wanted to play? And, uh, and I was so fortunate and, and Eric Steele as well, coaching, uh, Lee Grant. Grant, he took it on fantastically well. Keogh has always been excellent at bringing the ball out. The big surprise to me was, was how much Buxton came on and was uh, a, a huge part of that. When you look back at that squad, um, in terms of the players that were most important to that surge up the table, were there any who surprised you by contributing more than you thought they would? It sounds like Bucko was, was top of that list. Bucko was, was phenomenal um, in terms of that. Uh, John Eustace also, um, you know, the key to this system is what we call the controller in that uh, position just in front of the two centre-backs. And and between Grant, Keogh, Buxton and Eustace, they have to control the game and control possession and make sure that we, we keep the ball. But I think, that, you know, we, we have players in midfield like Hendrick, Bryson, Hughes, who they could handle the ball, no problem. They were footballers, they wanted to play. And um, and the balance that we had then with Chrissy Martin up front, kind of a target man on his own. We didn't ask a lot of running from him, but he had great feet for a, for a big man. He was a great target for us. So if ever we got pressed and couldn't play our football, we went over the press into Chrissy, held the ball up. And we had fantastic runners from midfield in Hendrick, Hughes and Bryson, who caused so much trouble for the opponents, especially on transition, but penetration and, and wide players are key to it. I, you know, I remember Johnny Russell, uh, Jamie Ward, who was a right little rascal. So the balance of the team, in fact, was, was really, really good. And the key thing to it was getting the team to play with courage because I remember there were one or two occasions where okay we were being pressed but I still wanted us to play from the back um, and players sometimes were a little reluctant and I think the key message in, 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 in terms of tactically was that uh, as us as a staff would take responsibility for the mistakes that they made in building up if they were pressed and lost the ball um, and they had to keep doing it so the players had to develop a lot of bravery, a lot of courage. And, and that was the difficulty and that's the satisfaction of, of this team was coaching it that way and accepting it, committing to it and actually doing it and providing some games in that season were some of the best football that, that I've seen. I watched a, uh, an interview back recently before the, the QPR home game in 13-14 that the 1-0 win where you used to score the winner and you referred to the whole season as a whole as the innocent climb and you also said sort of slightly prophetically as it turned out that you thought our lack of experience may be our downfall in the end I mean is it fair to say you were a little bit surprised yourself by just how quickly that team clicked into shape when you arrived and changed a few things 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, very, very surprised. I thought we, we could play. We had footballers we could play. Um, it was question, a lot of question marks about mentality, physicality and things like that. But we could play. And that game against QPR was, was for me the, the breakthrough, the turning point and one in which then the team started to actually believe that we could play this way and beat the best teams, um, teams in the top six. That's what we had to do. Um, but we won that night. And from then on, I, I started to believe, and I think the team did that, oh, well, we've got a good team here. We could uh, we could do something this season. Now, I know there are some obvious candidates in that season, which the fans would select. But for you as a manager and the way you turn that team around, um, which win or performance in 13-14 gave you the most satisfaction? Um, I mean, there were, there were many, many good performances, many good games. I enjoyed it. Um, but I think I think the key one, and I, and I watched it back the other day, I don't know why it was on, but I just came across it and it was, it was the Forest game. It's, it's got to be one of the standout games and, and one of them games that I'll never forget the rest of my life. Local derby, big expectation. I think we were third. There were six, um, huge crowd, big pressure, and and there is huge pressure on that that derby game. Huge pressure. Both teams coming in a little bit off form, uh, and to win it five nil in the manner that we did and the goals that we scored was was very very satisfying. That one was was a huge game and. Gave us fantastic confidence going into the playoffs. What did you say to the team before that game to get them going? I know when we spoke to Craig Bryson that he told us that when Derby got the first goal, Forrest heads dropped and that was key. Um, did you try and like exploit that before the game or, or after half, or at half time? Like, what did you say to them to produce such a result? I think what we did and, and one of the strengths that we had was that we, we just... We, we didn't bother so much about opponents. We just bothered about ourselves and the way that we played and felt if we did that, we'd have eight out of ten good chance to win. Now, I think we've gone four or five games without doing that, not scoring, but the performances were good. And I think that was the message all the way through. It will happen. It will come. Um, we will get the win and the goals will come. And you're absolutely right. The first 15 minutes of that game, and I did watch it back a few weeks ago, my God, we, we never touched the ball. We looked nervous. They looked quite confident. And um, it was quite, it well, wasn't an even game. They were on top. And once we, you're absolutely right, Craig's right. Once we got the first goal, you could see us lift and then get deflated. And then 3-0 at half time was just uh, an unbelievable scoreline. But I'm never happy with, uh, with 3-0. I always wanted the fourth and the fifth, which we... Uh, which we got. Now, we all know uh, how that season ended, of course, that there was the 5-0 and then the playoffs and um, and bitterly, disappointingly, losing in, in the in very late on at Wembley. I'm sure you've probably rerun that match in, in your head a lot and uh, what happened with Bobby Zamora in, in the last couple of minutes. But I know it's very easy to say now, with the benefit of hindsight, what should you have done differently? But is there anything... When you think about that game, you wish you you changed in terms of like tactics or, or personnel in the two thousand and fourteen playoff final. Yeah, because you lose, you're always 
you're always looking back and saying, yeah, I mean, the toughest, the toughest decision I had to make before the game was, was picking the team and definitely in that midfield area, but also, you know, leaving Bamford out as well, um, because he'd scored a lot of goals for us. Um, but I felt he could impact. Um, but the key thing, and, I, and sleepless nights, really, really, and didn't decide until the morning of the final, really, was was, was whether to play uh, Craig Bryson um, instead of Hughes. I think um, that was my dilemma, what to play in midfield. And I wanted... The key thing going into that Wembley game, and getting to... And you're absolutely right about that, innocent climb. And, and maybe... Just maybe, um, were we ready? I, I, I think uh, before the game, I thought, were we ready for this? And I just wanted the team to play how they've been playing three quarters of that season since we came in. Great football, controlling the game, expressing ourselves, because I know many teams, big games, big games, they don't play, they don't do what they've been doing all season. And the main thing I said to the team, I want was, do what you've been doing all season. Be as brave today as you have been all season, which is a difficult thing at Wembley with, with 78,000 and a huge game. And I was so proud of the team and the performance that the way that they played with bravery, with courage, they still played. And we dominated the game, which is what I wanted us to do. And I felt our domination of the game was better with with Hughes in there and Hendrick um, rather than having a runner with uh, with Craig Bryson um, that sometimes loosened that midfield which I know QPR could could exploit. So I wanted at the beginning of the game to control it, have a bench which was so so important and that was the key to the team. It wasn't the team, it was the squad. The bench was the most important. And the bench had to come in and, and impact, which they'd done all season. So Bryson, leaving Bryson out, it wasn't that because against Brighton, Hughes and Hendrick played anyway. We were absolutely terrific. And I thought momentum, keep that going because um, Craig was injured for the uh, for the playoff game. So that was a tough one. I can fully, fully understand um, Craig's reaction. And, and it really disappointed me. It's the only time in, in my career where I thought, I wish I could play 12 players because Craig deserved to play. It was immense that season. It's a bit of a tricky subject, Steve, but we, we felt we wanted to give you your say on it because when we did speak to Bryson, um, he talked about Wembley and at the end of that season and how he, he said he picked up a knock in the first leg of the semi-final away at Brighton. He said that after that, he didn't really see eye to eye with you after Wembley even though he did go on to sign a new five-year contract um, and part of that was because of not being picked in the final um, and well the way he told it to us is that he felt you'd you'd perhaps pick a team for Wembley based on the, the Brighton game only rather than the 46 ones previously I mean just in terms taking his comments into isolation what would be your your response to that I know you've given a bit of an answer already yeah, I, listen, I can fully understand uh, his disappointment and still to this day, I can still understand that and I've many, many more players, I can guarantee you, uh, through other teams who I meet in the street, they would, uh, they would turn a blind eye and walk the other way because of decisions that I've made, but that's, 
you know, we had a very good midfield then. It was very tough and he picked up an injury and come back from that. And my plan was to control the game. Um, and if it was close, we had the bench with, with Craig, with Bamford, um, to come on and, and get the goals and, and change the game. Um, and I can, listen, I can fully understand his reaction and still his reaction now. And, and it still rankles with me because it was the toughest decision I've ever probably had to make, uh, certainly in that season. Um, but I was influenced a lot by Bright where we dominated, controlled the game, never out of uh, any trouble, any problems. And, um, and, and picked that team and the way it went. And that's the way the game went. Once they had a man sent off, I felt our bench would come on and we'd have, we'd have an hour because, Thirty minutes extra time, even if it went to that, we could win the game, and um, I believe the game went well for us until that um, until that slip in the last uh, seconds of uh, of full time took it away from us. I seem to remember. Sorry, I'll, I'll move on from this game soon. I promise. But I seem to remember that when it was nil nil and QPR were down to ten, that did they bring an extra striker on? Did I imagine that when that happened? Did that? Did you think? Oh, you know, time to react to the changes that, that Redknapp's made, or, or did you just think stick to the plan? The, the chances will come, and and we will convert one of them. Yeah, absolutely, because we were creating and we were dominant. We never looked in any trouble. I don't think they've been out in our half uh, since the ten men, and I, I just felt it's just a matter of time because we we wore them down with possession. They've been chasing the ball. You know, gradually the game will open up. But I just remember Richard Dunn, um, their centre-back, he had one of them games where in the box he blocked everything and won every header. It was one of them games that he was absolutely immense for QPR. And, um, yeah, when I look back, it's, it was, you know, certainly Derby's best, biggest chance to, uh, to get into the Premier League. Now, it didn't work out that season. We didn't get promoted. But you did achieve, and I know it's, a lot of fans will say it is all about promotion, what league you're in. But in that season, it still is Derby's highest points total in a season. Um, nearly 90 goals as well. And a lot of memories that plenty of Derby fans will continue talking about for, for years to come. So despite the end result, you must be quite proud of the memories you gave the fans that year. I, I, I was so proud of the, of the players, of the team. It's, it really is. I've, I've had a few teams, but I'm... I really enjoyed this team, working with them day in, day out, and the way they were committed, the way they were they were brave, they were courageous, uh, they could all play football, and and just the balance of the team, what they took on, uh, the camaraderie that they had. Um, it wasn't about the 11 players, it was about the squad. It's a great atmosphere in the dressing room. It was one of them where you just got up every morning, you thought, great, I'm so pleased I'm going into work with this bunch of players. Because they were, they were just in that moment of youth exuberance, uh, expressing themselves. Some old, old heads learning as well. But it was just a fantastic balance to the team. And, and granted, I don't think we were ready to go up, I've got to say, because we weren't in that position. We were still under American owners. We didn't have uh, a lot of money. And I don't think we were quite ready. If we'd have gone up, it would have been... It would have been very tough, but we'd have taken it and we should have taken it. Um, and that's my biggest regret of that season was 
as you said, just that like, like last minute. We had a lot of luck in that 4-4 and we, uh, we ran out of luck by the end of the season. So yeah, that first season may have been the innocent climb, as you termed it yourself, but clearly the dynamic and the expectations completely changed that summer at the start of the 14-15 season because Derby were then installed as basically automatic promotion favourites the way they'd finished the previous season. How much harder was it for you to get that group playing in the same way, given how much expectations had rocketed over the summer? That was very, very difficult because it was such a disappointment. And they always knew that we'd have a kind of what we call an emotional dip from that tremendous high towards the end of the season and the big disappointment. And, uh, and, and it was, and we certainly, we struggled in the next season, the start of it, especially and getting back. Um, but I felt, you know, we got stronger and stronger. And I think, I think by New Year, we were sitting top of the league. Is that correct? It was, uh, yeah, I think it was, it was November. Yeah. It's certainly towards the end of the first half of the season. But yeah, so that season happened and Derby were top in November, but then fell away for a number of reasons. I mean, what I wanted to ask you, Steve, do you think how much was there an element of bad luck in that season? I know everyone will say, look, the table doesn't lie. Derby just had to get a draw on the final day and lost and, and finished eighth or whatever. But you did lose some key players at important times that season. George Thorne in pre-season. Uh, Jordan Ibe was recalled early from his loan spell. You lost Chris Martin for 10 games after Christmas. Was there an element of bad luck in it? Or do you just look back on those blows as the sort of thing that, that every team has to deal with at some point in, in the season. As I said before, I think the key the key to our team was or is whenever you play that four three three is is your controller, the person sat in front of the back four, and certainly your centre forward because everything attacking wise revolves around him and your wide players. And um, we kept the midfield, we still got, but losing George, we, we signed him. Uh, he'd been integral to that run at the end of the season. I thought he was immense in that. And uh, why I wasn't so disappointed, and I said to the players, you know, we'll be stronger for this and we'll be better next season, was because of of, uh, of George Thorne. We, found, uh, we felt we'd found a perfect controller in there. Him getting injured, I remember it. I remember going down, I remember it now, it's still running back in my head. Uh, and a huge disappointment, cruciate, and uh, out for the season, really. That um, oh, that was a massive, massive blow. And um, we recovered from that and we were okay. But losing him, but losing Chrissy Martin was the key one. Um, and I think we'll go on to our, our second spell there, which is also the player that I felt was the missing link. And once he goes out of the team um, kind of our game changes a lot we have to adapt and change um, and it's not the right balance and that's what I felt when he went out it's very difficult to replace we tried several number nines in place of him but they were so different and it didn't give the balance to the team the right and we lost momentum and we lost we lost confidence um, and we lost belief I think Lee Grant got injured. We brought uh, Butland in, who did well, and then Grantie coming back also. Injuries, yeah, injuries cost. If you haven't got your best players, you, you don't win games. 
and you've got to have your best players and that was the key the previous season we hardly had any injuries at all and that we had uh, we had bad ones and losing I who was an absolute sensation for us in that first half of the season was uh, was also key I guess part of it is injuries and obviously when that happens you you bring in reinforcements you replace the injured players but do you think part of it is when um you look back at the players you brought in to replace them. So, um, you know, players like Alpin Tosa came in and Omar Mascarell came in as, as who was going to be at the base of the midfield. And I think Leon Best came in, in in that season as well. Was part of it that maybe you didn't quite get as much from those players as you, as you were expecting to when you saw their records and their ability? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, recruitment is key. And, um, Best was never going to be uh, Christy Martin's different type of player altogether. Um, we're always um, as an impact player, best always coming off the bench. It's been like Connor Salmon did the previous season. Um, yeah, Raul was uh, was someone who we thought we uh, we could integrate into our back. That didn't happen. Um, as I say, the uh, Mascarell, the, the control was a great footballer, but not not in the took him quite a while to adapt to English football. So yeah, the the replacements weren't didn't give us any greater balance. In fact gave us more problems. And we scored a lot of goals that year. I actually looked at it. It was the fourth highest number in fourteen fifteen behind the promoted teams, Bournemouth, Watford and Norwich, but but we shipped too many as well, of course, especially after Christmas. There were those high scoring draws at uh, Huddersfield, the 4-4, and Millwall, the 3-3 in the run-in. I know that you, you've always said you have a certain style as a manager, but looking back, do you think in retrospect you maybe should have set the team up to be a bit more pragmatic, a bit more conservative, or was that just not really the style of football that you wanted to your teams to play? No, um, whenever I go into a team, it's about uh, you build from the back, um, and it's about clean sheets, it's about um, controlling the game. So I think we, you're absolutely right, we conceded too many goals and you're never going to do that. So we're going into every game knowing that we're going to concede. And for some reason, I don't know, we we just started conceding goals. And, you know, maybe, um, maybe that's uh, protection from the midfield. And maybe, you know, with that controller, that changes a lot of things, which it did. And... Um, once we started chasing games, yeah, we were capable of scoring. Um, and I think that was through uh, a lot of things, Tom Ince at the time. But we just, I don't know, we just never, um, we never had the balance right. And that's the key. We just never had the balance. And once you lose confidence in your, in your back four and uh, you're conceding goals, it puts pressure on every game. And I have to ask, um, you might not thank me for it, Steve, but I'm sure it's what every Derby fan would want to know. You admitted yourself when you were appointed for the second spell that you should have quashed the uh, the Newcastle speculation sooner than you did. Do you think that had an effect on the team in the second half of that season? I don't know. You'll probably have to ask them, but I, I, don't, I don't think so. I'm professional enough to carry on my job, which I did. That was always speculation, which was always going to be. And you're absolutely right. Um, my regret is I should have quashed that um, uh, sooner and just committed uh, to Derby. But I was so focused, and that, and that was my thing. I was so focused on 
on that season. I'm getting things right. When things were going wrong, had a lot of problems, and it was just solving them. So it was instead of looking ahead, it was just day to day. So I did. I did think it did probably within the club, but I suppose with outside the club, um, it, there's always speculation and there's always people upset about that. And uh, yeah, um, you know, I, I take again responsibility for that. But I just felt that everything you need luck and everything going your way, and it started to uh, not go our way once we got the injuries and couldn't recover from that. With that in mind, had you been approached by Newcastle in the second half of that season? Had any discussions taken taken place? No discussion had taken place. There, there was, as there always is, tentative inquiries. Um, but, you know, I remember at the time, look, my focus is on, uh, on Derby. Got a great team, got a good chance. Um, end of the season, uh, let's see where we are. That was my mindset uh, all the way through, um, and you know that's that's what happened. Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge. Hi, I'm Paul Pesky-Solido. Hi, I'm Curtis Davis, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. Fast forward seventeen months to when you were appointed for the second spell. When you were approached by Derby again, what was the brief when you came back for that time? Because Derby were what just above the bottom three. Was it a case of just steadying the ship and getting Derby back into contention when Mel Morris made contact? Yeah, that was the brief, uh, the remit. You always want to know what the job is. And the job was come in, we're in trouble, uh, get us out of trouble. And um, the squad is big. Uh, it signed quite a few players. Chris Martin was out on loan to Fulham and really just um, it was it was a bit of a mess going in um, sort out the mess get some results get us out of trouble which the squad was well capable of doing um, and let's uh, let's plan ahead for uh, for next season uh, let's build on that so looking at really a long term project rather than a, than a firefighting um than a firefighting job. And how hard was it in that second spell managing the squad at that time? Because a lot of change since the first spell. We had a lot of players to deal with. I made it, by my count, a first team of, of more than 30 players when you came back in 2016, a lot of whom were signed by other managers, the likes of Pearson or Paul Clement or whoever. Um, how difficult was that for you to deal with when you came back in? Yeah, the club was totally different. Um uh, was like chalk and cheese coming back in and um, kind of the kind of the youth exuberance enthusiasm so it was just it's just a case of getting the culture right again getting everybody to to enjoy coming into work coming to uh, to play football and play together and yeah we'd, we'd lost we'd lost and then changed a lot of players but these players were quality players, um, but not always getting quality players means you get a quality team. And um, that was the difficulty and that was something that we always fought that season was was with too many players, getting them to play as a team and getting them to accept that sometimes they don't play, sometimes they're on the bench. And um, 
yeah, it would it was a lot harder to uh, to manage uh, that group uh, than it was the the first team, uh, but the quality was there. And uh, as you as you rightly say, and we talked about before, um, after one or two uh, results to start with, we went on an eight game run and. We built it from clean sheets and uh, Scotty Carson was excellent in goal. Um, Keo was still the uh, the main person in there with Lost Buxton. So there was a lot of a lot of things to uh, to uh, to change. So we started from the back, getting clean sheets. I think we got seven or eight in a row, broke the club record in terms of that. Got some wins under our belts and actually um, went on one hell of a run. And, uh, and got into playoff positions, if I uh, remember well. And one of the players who who seemed to thrive the most under you when we went on that run, um, the eight-game winning run, and also at the back end of the first spell as well, was Tom Ince. Um, he seemed to score regularly in the second spell, even when it wasn't going well. And he was, of course, banging them in when he came in on loan initially. But it's weird that he hasn't really done a huge amount with his career since he left Derby. I know he's playing with Huddersfield in the Premier League and playing for a poor Stokes side. But in terms of your man management of him, Steve, and the tactics and how you fitted him into the team, how did you manage to get the best out of a player like Tom Ince? Um, I mean, that was the key thing with the with the whole system, the whole philosophy of when we went in the first time. Like we took him on loan um, at the end of that uh, first spell because... He's one of them players that um, he's young, exuberant, uh, lost his way a little bit. And I love them kind of players because really they just need an arm around the shoulder and a little belief in them. And, uh, and I think that's what we gave him. You know, the same we did with Ibe, the same we did with Bamford. And I like them kind of players who perhaps fail at other clubs and not settle, but certainly come to ours and uh, they've got ability, they've got great talent getting that talent to, to come out. I think that at the time with the with the staff that we had was one of our strengths. It was excellent for us. Um, I loved him. He was he was sometimes could be moody, sometimes difficult. Not like his uh, his dad who was never moody but always exuberant. But you know, um, he, he was he was someone we just give kind of free reign to and go and play, go and score, go and assist. Go get us, just go and enjoy yourself and play with a smile on your face, and uh, and he certainly did that. And uh, he was one of the reasons why we had that fantastic run and why we we, we got out of trouble and contention. And we talked about yeah, you said that you did get Derby from just above the bottom three to back into the playoff mix, but there's no denying that that second spell started incredibly well, but then the form again tailed off quite badly. Um, what changed? What went wrong in, in your view, Steve? Um, I think we got injuries again. But I just think we we kind of ran out of momentum. I think bring, trying to bring Chrissy Martin back um, was key for me in that January. Getting back from Fulham, um, there was a lot of wrangling about that. And um, in the end, I just I just felt, as you said, I think you said it before, you, you end up where you deserve to be and and that's what I was saying, um, you know, I think in the uh, February, March time was that, you know, maybe we're just, you know, we've got talent, but it's not a team. Um, and maybe we just need to get through to the end of the season and start planning. And that's what we were actually thinking and doing. And in January, I think 
Nugent came in because we couldn't get Chrissy Martin back. Um, and I and I said to uh, to Mel, you know, I said, look, let's let's keep our powder dry, uh, save your money, uh, let's get to the end of the season. I think we're relatively safe. Let's see if we can fight for this playoff place. Who knows? We might get that momentum back again, which we'd had earlier on. Um, but let's plan for for next season. And that's what we were kind of doing with parallel lines in, in fighting to win every game. And, and on the other side, uh, looking at the recruitment and seeing, um, you know, how we can turn the squad around and get some semblance of normality back. So it sounds like there, from what you're saying, Steve, that there were open conversations about planning for next season and not writing that season off necessarily, but acknowledging that it was going to be really hard to get in the top six. So when the sacking did come, Derby were in a bad run of form, there's no doubt, but they'd also had a that eight match, seven, eight match winning run when he first took over. And your overall record in those 29 games, 113 drawn seven, lost nine. It's, it's not that bad a record. I mean, is it fair to say you were really shocked and surprised when the news did come? Uh, very. Um, as you rightly say, um, when you look overall and where the club were, where the team was uh, and the kind of football that they were playing, I thought we brought back results, uh, clean sheets, but also got back to playing um, at times that exciting football and that derby way that we'd had in the uh, in the first spell. Difficult to, to replicate that and the quality because of the players were different, but certainly in some respects. And I think the key thing was again we didn't have that control of we we didn't we didn't have that we kept swapping and changing Bradley Johnson in there sometimes Butterfield. We just didn't have, sometimes Will Hughes just didn't have that control of sat in front of that back four. Uh, and we didn't have that centre forward like Chrissy Martin to, uh, to play off the kind of balance we needed. So it was always going to, it was, I, I always felt every game was a struggle, was a fight. Uh, we're always up and down in terms of inconsistency. Um, and, and you're right, we had ongoing, we're talking a lot about planning for the next season. We're talking a lot about that, and we were fighting every day to uh, to try and win the next game. To who knows, you know, we could go on another run again, um, but consistency was never quite there. So it was a uh, for me, it was a huge, huge shock. You know, I, I, as you say, I've had ups and downs, really low times, but that was a, a massive shock because you know I felt. My record in the first spell, my record coming back into the second spell was was enough to say that I could take this club on. I mean, I was at the um, I was at the Brighton get the Brighton away game, the three 0 defeat, which was your last game in charge in the second spell. I mean, there's no doubt we were easily second best in that game. But I mean, did you have any suspicions after that particular defeat that the writing may have been on the wall? Um, I didn't. I didn't know because. Um, I think a journalist came on 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 popped his head around the bus and uh, and said something about oh that's the last game Steve and I was shot. Come on, we've just been talking about planning for next season on the Thursday before, and and I remember that uh, that game we were I think we we're missing Keo, we we're missing vital people, we were very very short at the back. And uh, we got punished by a very good Brighton side and we were second best. 
Um, you know, sometimes you have to take these these bad times. And I always say that's the strength of your football club is in the bad times, sticking together and pulling together. And uh, I, I remember saying at that time, you know, this is when we need to stay together. We need to, you know, have a plan, formulate that and keep going forward. But it wasn't to be. I think it was a reactionary um, impulse and uh, one in which I was disappointed by. If you don't mind me asking, Steve, how did how did Mal Morris tell you the second time? Um, I think on the Sunday I got a phone call from Sam Rush, and basically that was it. So we've talked about the teams that you managed in that spell and the players from the Derby team in 2013 to 2015. The players in that first spell, it's fair to say they've had mixed fortune since. I mean, the likes of Will Hughes and, and Jeff Hendrick have got their move to the Premier League. But on the other hand, there are players like George Thorne who've had incredibly bad luck with injuries and others like Chrissy Martin and Craig Forsyth and Andre Wisdom who are still at the club. I mean, have you followed the fortunes of those players much and kept in touch with that squad from that time? I always follow Derby. Always. And um, always be a club you know, close to my heart. And so I always do. Um, I know great memories of all the, the players, you know, still there. Got wisdom, I see him pop up and, and still playing. That's, that's great. I remember taking him in the uh, the first days at, uh, at Derby and him being late for a game on a Saturday and he'd, he'd gone through a farmer's field and got his Porsche stuck in a, in a mud patch or a mud puddle or something. And yeah, don't worry. He still gets reminded about that basically every week. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he, he was he was tremendous for us. Keo will always will always be Keo, and a major partner. It's disappointing the way that's ended um, at Derby. But you know all them players, especially the first spell, fantastic. I do really feel sorry for for George Thorne, who who for me when he uh, first came in was. Uh, you know, up until that Wembley game was absolutely fantastic. And I thought, yeah, this I've not had many what we call controllers who, who can play that position well, but he was certainly one. And, and, um, and buying him, uh, I thought that was the, the missing piece to the jigsaw for us. Him getting injured was massive, massive. And still the second spell when he wasn't quite there um, was hugely disappointing, not just for Derby, but for him personally. I know that when you speak to a lot of Derby fans, Will Hughes in particular was and still is a player that fans were left most frustrated by. I know when we sold him, that is. I know a player is only really worth what someone else is willing to pay for them. But by the time um, you were succeeded by Gary Rowett, Rowett left him. Rowett let him go because he he wasn't quote his sort of a player. In your opinion, Steve, do you think Derby let him go for? Were you surprised when Derby let him go for the price that they did after your second spell? Yes and no. Um, I expected him to really kick on from uh, from uh, my spell with him, uh, which he did. Um, and then when I left, I really thought he would. Um, but I quite agree with uh, with Gary. He wasn't his type of player, and the football that we're playing at that time it needs to be in a certain type of team. To, uh, to be able to do that. So I can understand. And, you know, he's from the academy um, and, and he's been fantastic. Same as Jeff Hendrick. 
you know, I think Jeff Hendrick has, has been the one for me that has really taken uh, his talent, worked hard at it, and, and got a fantastic move, and he's playing well in the Premier League, as is Will Hughes now with Watford. So just before we wrap up the, the first part of this uh, this chat, Steve, Derby have been in the headlines for, for various reasons this season, not all of them positive. Um, but there's no doubt that um, in terms of owners, Mel Morris has always had the club's interests at heart as a local businessman, and he's always backed his managers financially for almost all the time. Um, you work with him across two spells. What's your verdict? on Mel Morris's overall time as owner of Derby County? Um, I like Mel. I've always liked Mel. He's been straight talking. Um, he's come in. He's wanted to know what's happening. He's wanted to be hands-on. He's wanted to learn. He's made mistakes. He would have probably admit that himself, as we all do. Um, it's been very difficult coming into a football club. He's always been involved, always been a supporter. He's been fantastic supporter of, uh, of the charities around uh, the community in Derby and and I thought he was the perfect man to uh, to come in and, and still do and I, and I feel a little bit sorry for him because he's he spent a lot of money gave managers a lot of money to um, to pursue that dream of the Premier League he's given he's given the club finance backing resources fantastic training ground facilities community, uh, brought the fans on board. He's a real supporter as well as a businessman. Um, and I think he's probably deserved more than he's got from uh, from the investment that he's put in. Um, and, you know, he's, he's suffering from that at the, at the present moment. Um, I think he's tenure. I think, you know, when we were there with Sam and the Americans, it was very, very difficult and it would be very difficult to take the club on and achieve uh, what they want to achieve with Mel. He's given everything to get that football club into the Premier League and um, and it's not worked out and it's tough in that championship to get out. And sometimes all the money in the world, as uh, Sheffield United have, have proved, and Huddersfield have proved sometimes money isn't everything and um, you need different things, different ingredients in your football club. Um, but certainly he's been unlucky. I'm, you know, I remember going back after after Jim uh, Jim's death and memorial and tribute to him at the, uh, the football ground in, in one of the games. And, you know, we, we're treating each other as if we're best mates and long lost friends and that's the kind of person that he is it's you know football is business um, but he's still uh, he's still got a heart and we still had a, a few friendly and <laughs> discussions uh, on that day and um, and we will do now and we'll remain in touch and we'll remain friends 